Herself is the brilliant new movie from the mind of our guest today, Claire Dunn. It tells the story of one woman attempting to change her story, change her path and make something new for her family in a country where it can seem like building your own home is basically off limits for certain people. Directed by Philida Lloyd and made with Element Pictures in conjunction with Sharon Horgan and her Merman company, it is a picture about a lot of things, including kindness, community, metal. And as Claire puts it, it's a story about who we are. You'll walk away from this with a lot of things, but one of them will be a certainty that our guest today, Claire Dunn, is a special, special talent. This is her project. This is her baby. And today we get a chance for the first time to talk about how it came into being, the bumps in the road, the times when it seemed like it just wouldn't happen, along with her own story about being told that different men a life as an actor was another thing that was off limits herself hit cinemas on October 16th and trust me you do not want to miss it support Irish film go see this movie and support this podcast for as little as five euros a month you'll gain access to an extra hour of this conversation and all our episodes more than 400 episodes in the archive two extra weekly episodes including our US election series with Marion McKeown and our running series with the legend Sonia O'Sullivan which ramped up this week you'll have to tune in to find out why patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad that's patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad help us keep this show going into the future on October 5th we give you something a little bit special a gig in your gaff with governments clamping down and telling people to stay home we thought what better time to do another one of these comedy clubs that people really love and this one is going to be free to air October 5th is the night to reserve for a gig in your gaff with guests Emer McGlyce Sarah Breen from the Ashling books Paul Howard aka Rosso Carl Kelly Jack Wise, the brilliant magician and comedian, and of course, music from the superb Loa. Our chosen charity partner, as always, is jigsaw.ie. I hope you will go over there and support them or look to them for support if you've got a young person in your life who needs to equip themselves with the mental health skills they'll need to survive life and a pandemic. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the Claire Dunn episode of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme, what's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! It is brilliant to have you on Irishman Abroad. And as I said to you before this, it is hard to know where to begin. The movie herself is such a triumph in and of itself. And to me, it's an instant classic. But the thing that moved me, aside from the movie itself, is this story behind it, that it's an idea. It's an idea that took hold of you while you may be at your lowest ebb in New York to the point where this idea forces you to change your flights, 
come back home and get to work on it. Does that idea, did that drive you forward? Did that idea still remain today even? Or does it feel like it's a long way away given that, you know, Sharon Horgan, Element, Sundance, all of this stuff happens in between? I think in some ways it's far away. (laughs) During the journey, it felt far away. But I think now more than ever, because it's now being like brought to audiences, I actually remember that moment uh, nearly every day because I actually know that moment was a sort of BCAD moment for me in my life. Mm. And that once I made that choice, everything was different. And I mean, you know, when you really make a choice to change things, you can feel it. (laughs) It's Mm. like, you know, you're not lying to anyone because you're not lying to yourself. You know, you can say you're going to change things or say you're going to do certain things. But that felt like a real change because I I did change flights and I I came back to Ireland and changed my lifestyle so that I could put us like get time to research and uh yeah, I guess train myself up and become a writer <laughs> because I wasn't really one uh, at that moment. And so, yeah, it does come back to me. Let me ask you this then, Claire, because I'm sure everyone knows that feeling that you had of a powerful notion hitting mm-hmm. you, uh, something original or game changing. And the struggle then is to not doubt it, to remember and keep going back to that fire that it put in your belly. You had tests during this. There Mm. were times where it felt like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to take something in between. It's a lot. I'm saying it's a long road from 2014 being Mm -hmm. in New York, auditioning for things you weren't really that into working Mm -hmm. in the bar. It's a long road from here to there. It was a long road, I think. I think there were moments actually earlier in the journey that that just came to mind when you asked me about that, which was there was a weird thing where the idea felt bigger than me. Mm. So it was taking me. Not only was it intriguing me, but it was like there was this weird faith behind it that was something I had never felt before. And that sounds a bit out there, but apparently, so I read a book about creativity at one point called Big Magic and it was the writer of Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, I know. I've read it. It's an amazing book. Fab. And and when she just talked about how ideas are actually not yours, you just pay attention to them. Mm. They um, come from and you somewhere kind else. Of mind them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That actually sort of helped me because my biggest pet hate in all my career has always been, well, I was actually even suspicious of acting from the get go. I, 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 I had a fear of getting too like egotistical or like a bit into it in the wrong way or that I'd been around people that were a bit like that early on that made me always go no I always want to make sure it's about the work and not me like keep it outside of myself in a healthy way because there's an element of then you're dedicating yourself to something you're Mm -hmm. devoting yourself to something and that energy feels better than I need this to make me a star you know (laughs) that that energy is not going to get you It'll only get you so far because the minute something slips up, you're like, oh, my God, I'm a mess. And you identify Mm. with it as you. Whereas if you are looking at it as something that's outside of yourself, that you devote yourself to, that you're just 
tending it like a plant, you know, like watering it and feeding it. And even when you don't know what to do with it, you're like, well, at least I'm putting it in the window. You know, it's mm. it's like a dedication and maybe a bit of a, not a discipline, but that it's something that you tend to every day. And because I was doing that anyway, even when I had a very experienced old, like kind of teacher or somebody that I'd worked with in, at some point, he kind of went... There was this cup of coffee moment I had with somebody where they literally went, well, you're never going to get this made. I mean, no one's going to believe that story. (laughs) And just kind of completely or just went, you're just going to have to go to a different country to do this or like set it somewhere else because you're not going to get it done in Ireland. And I went home. I was actually... What did you say in response to that, first of all? I'm really interested in those moments. I've had them so many times along the way. And loads of people have. What do you what do you say back? Like, how do you eject yourself from that conversation? I, I sort of I found myself, I think, leaning back a bit in the chair and just sort of gone, OK, OK. And I was letting him have his rant about how a mess it is. It's a mess here and you won't get it done. And I sort of was like, OK, this is quite scary. But I was kind of leaning back physically. I don't remember what I said. I just remember going, okay, well, I'll have a think. And I went home and I was shaken, like, on the inside. I got in the door and I went upstairs and I lay on my bed. And I think I sobbed and cried for, like, a good half an hour. And I mean, like, like the way you do when it's it's horrific, like Mm. somebody's died. And I was just like, why did I go see this guy? Like, you know? And then I went downstairs and this was a time I'm a typical millennial that had to live at home for a couple of months when I first returned from London. It was at some point in the journey, I think in 2015 or 26. No, it would have been 2015 when uh, I had a little stab at home. So my mom was downstairs and um, she's like, do you want a cup of tea? And I was like, she's like, what's wrong with you? Like I was in this looking, you know, and I just remember my mom flitting about the kitchen and making tea. And she just kept going, well, I don't know. I just think you're after talking to the wrong person because, like, what do they know about? Like, it's just an idea at the moment. And that, and she was just doing her mom thing where she kind of, like, is, I suppose, just babbling a bit. But actually, it was all so helpful because mm-hmm. she was sort of reminding me of, like, just the little girl in me that is also just the girl who was once in school not knowing what she wanted to do but she just loved telling stories and making people laugh like she was reminding me that like it's not actually about what somebody else is saying to you about that thing really and I felt hugely comforted and I was a bit bruised and I kind of like let it go for a few days and then I think I just woke up one morning and realized that every morning I woke up I would still just think about this story that I wanted to tell first thing every day it was just possessing me and I thought, well, it's still there. It's still there. Mm. And it's still really interesting to me. So I think I just have to trust that. And what is that your, was it, really. What does your mom do? Like, what's her story? Well, she used to work when, when she first had me. She had me quite young. She actually just raised us for a while. And then she went back into some education while we were kids where she did a lot of community work and helped out in a place called Base up in Whitechurch. I grew up on a council estate in my youngest of years and then we moved on to somewhere just down the road but um, that's kind of what she did and she's also worked in just like retail just in clothes <laughs> shops 
and done. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she's um, really, she's the best mother in the world is what she is. Um, she has six daughters, so it's, it's what, been what, something. <laughs> when, when I read that, I just thought to myself, what what is that like? Like, uh, I, I, Yeah, wealth of female energy. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the character, like the lead character in herself has to be partially your mother. Am I right? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, I did forget that. My mother is also a cleaner and so is Sandra. Well, she doesn't clean anymore. She actually finally gave up last year, but she was uh, a cleaner for years, like just doing mixers in people's houses and then also cleaning a school. And um, I would the odd time go cleaning with my mom years ago, like just the odd time, just give her a hand. And then when I was doing preparing for the role of Sandra, I went to work with her as well for a few days. But what I always observed about my mom and my sister who used to clean as well, there's a magical thing about cleaners, I think, because they come into your house and yes, they clean everything physically, but there is something about their energy coming into your home and they do this wonderful thing of cleaning your house, but it's all, but it kind of cleans out any sort of just the built up crap over yeah, the last the bad juju. even the bad juju. And I just think also there's some then older people in, in, in the community or people that are a little bit more afraid of the world and not out and about so much that the cleaner coming to them is actually a bit of an event for the week. And sometimes cleaners are going and they're having a scone and a cup of tea with that person as well mm. as their job. And that becomes part of it's that part of person's it. universe. And a friendship can develop or anything can happen. And it just, it just, it really fascinated me always when my mom used to come in and go, oh God, I was in your one's house and you know, the daughter has terrible depression. And so I was trying to just, you know, give her a bit of encouragement and like, and she'd come mm. in and I would be going, wow, mom, like, I mean, she wasn't like, my mom would always try and just like go in and out and do her job. But I suppose in the moment of certain things came to her, she would always try and be nice or be encouraging or be positive or suggest like, oh, I was thinking I might just pick up a couple of plants for you and little and you could put them on the window there. Would they be nice, Mary or whatever? She just always did these lovely things. And I just thought, yeah, cleaners have something extra going on, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, 100 percent. And so, yeah, that was important to the story, obviously. Of, of course, stuff. it's crucial to the story and yeah. kind of the the reason why I, I ask about your mother is because like there's this character so fully formed and actualized. And in fact, the whole idea of the movie that we mentioned at the start is mm -hmm. so actualized that I guess that that must become the journey of of writing it is actually the idea that starts in New York. You suddenly over the course of that journey of writing it. Mm. Under, come to understand why the idea took hold of you. And I'd imagine that a big part of that must have been realizing that this isn't a movie about somebody self building a house in a really awful personal situation. This is a story and a question of who we are and what mm. we, who we see ourselves as in relation to this problem of housing. Am I wrong on that? You are so not wrong. It was actually that became a bit of a banner for me, you know, when you're storyboarding and you have to put things on the wall to keep you going or things to remind you what it's really about. 
And I kept saying to myself, this is actually the story of who we really are as Irish people. And also then just as humans, because I didn't want it to obviously just feel like a nationalistic thing and only an Irish thing. Mm. But at first on my journey, it really was very about our identity and our our working with the land and who we are as a community. Because once I discovered what the word mehel means, which is like a kind of community that gathers around and helps each other. I didn't like, I read this book called Rural. So the architect who designed our house and the first person I looked up was Dominic Stevens, this lovely architect who designed a house for 25,000 euro, a good, God, it must be 10 years ago now. Same so, guy that's in the actual film. The same guy, well, he's, <laughs> that's not actually, that's an actor playing him. Uh, okay, sorry. Who kind of looks like him. <laughs> but um, no, 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 Dominic wouldn't be in it. But he let the real star be in it, which is his house design. Oh, but okay. I read his book called Rural, which was absolutely fascinating because it made you realize that once we were colonized, we obviously were run by someone else. And our natural way of being before we were colonized and the land was taken over and divided with the, you know, what is it, the lords and the... Mm-hmm. And the tenants and the, there was a lot of the fiefs and I don't know, there was all that kind of stuff. Basically, um, sorry, I say it like I didn't do the research, but I have a short term memory span. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, it was that we naturally as a society before even Catholicism as well, we just integrated and had a healthy interdependence. And when a new fa- when a new couple, say, came together, or a husband and wife were married and they had their firstborn, the village came together and would like build a house for that. Those people starting their lives, like everybody came together give to ensure that the next new, fa- yeah, yeah. give them a cow and few chicks and all that kind of thing. And that was just natural. That was just the way it was. Then obviously we were colonized and different things happened. And then one, by the time it got to, so obviously our language was stripped of it and lots of things were taken away from our identity as a nation. And then we reclaimed our independence you know, along comes Eamon de Valeria and all the lads. But by the time we were trying to then set up our own country and government, they basically just used a kind of American model. So they did a whole thing where they had that very capitalist thing of the whole aim is to keep people thinking that something else outside of them makes them happy. Mm. And therefore they're always chasing the, you know, the thing on the end of a string. So, it's, it's this way of thinking, uh, the pursuit of happiness and all that kind of thing. But in a sort of when you look behind these things in the economical sense, it's a little bit like, oh, but that could be done a little bit easier going or with a healthier sense of equality. And so I realized in my journey that like, like obviously during it, we hit the centenary of 2016. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, we're actually only really considered a bit of a grown up country now, because apparently it takes a country to be like 100 years independent to really begin to find its own Mm, actual voice. And so we're actually quite a young country in terms of what we've been through and had to like start again in the early 20th century. So, and if you really went from the actual dates of when we had a government, it would probably be more like 1921, right, or 22. Mm-hmm. But um, they always say kind of 1916. So I found that 
I found it interesting that there was maybe a loss on, on a mass consciousness level, a, a forgetting of who we really are. And so in the back of my heart or my mind as I wrote this was, remember who we really are. That's what this is actually about. It's remembering who we really are and what we, what, what's innate in us. And, I, and along the journey, I, it was meeting other people who work on the front line with all of these kind of things like self-building and domestic violence that I, I was struck by how, oh, like actually even amongst this madness and the courts and tough stuff that people go through, human kindness is actually the true innate nature that we have. It's not what you are constantly maybe told it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's certainly... Usual, yeah. yeah, and certainly at the moment, mm. <laughs> there is a thing of the moment here, Claire. I'm sure you are aware of that. Yeah. There's a moment. Yeah. We're in a moment and we're in a moment as people where it feels like if somebody disagrees with you, they're ready to kill you and that there isn't a, uh, an innate empathy to a lot of people. We can really other people at the moment in terms of the divides, whether it's Democrat, Republican, mask wearing, not mask wearing. I want to send my kids back to school. You don't because you think it's too much of a risk. Everything is so mm. polarized at the moment that what you're talking about here in this kindness, this innate mm. kindness that you, know, you have to hope and I've always tried to hope is the default setting rather than this savage man comes up time and time again throughout the piece and each time it's so subtly done and it's so deftly handled that at no point does it veer into oh and then somebody does a nice thing how hard was it to capture those moments and to rewrite things in such a way that you, the expression of kindness from others isn't fairy godmother stuff and is more that's exactly how that would happen in Ireland. Well, to start that answer, I actually have to think of Ian who played Gary. So the character that, that commits violence on Sandra in many ways, mentally, emotionally and physically. The main thing you have to remember is that good old phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Mm. And I think what was always important to me writing this story was that we show the ambiguity and the different the things that can happen within a relationship where somebody loses who they really are and becomes this, I suppose, kind of baddie or monster. But there's always a thorn in the monster's ankle. Like they're not a monster for no reason. So I will say that at first. And so then going from that, I realized, I wonder, can I include the moments of kindness? Not that I made up but that I observed when I was on certain research trips. Right. So I know it seems mad to say that, but basically this whole film is based on fact. It is a fiction based on hugely researched fact. And not only that, but there were moments where I was sitting in waiting rooms for 20 minutes in, you know, the, the courts, uh, sorry, the place in Temple Bar, the um, Dolphins Bar, uh, Dolphin House where people are going in to get barring orders and there's all sorts going on and I I witnessed firsthand every time 
um, moments of connection and kindness between people that you wouldn't expect and huge drama as well and like the whole time I was on the journey it was like I had this weird like voice in me going include that include that because we always tend in the in the film world or you know creating dramas for tv is that you only kind of show the ultra dramatic moments but I found those observations along the way so important and I would note them down in my diary along the way or just note them in things that I want to include so actually the difficult part was then just tonally getting that right then in Mm. the uh, in the in the film and just making it not like it was so funny in edits or in drafts I would always just be the one going yeah but don't make that too Disney that was always my <laughs> my uh, my little calling card and Philida's head would be wrecked with me I'd be like no that's kind of, but you can't go further than that <laughs> yeah well that's kind of what I'm at. that's kind of what I'm referring to it's like it, it, that's all over this your thing if, if that yeah. was your voice in that edit yeah. then Congratulations again, because (laughs) at no point does this become Disney. And I guess the piece that I'd really love to talk to you before we get to the half halfway point in our conversation Mm -hmm. is the opening of this. Um, I mean, the you must have absolutely been obsessed with that first 10 pages to get it to where it is and what it was and what it is now on the big screen. That opening 10 pages or those first moments grab you by the throat as a as a viewer. You're in. There's no way back. Am I right in saying that that was an obsession? And where did that come from? The first 10 pages is always the obsession (laughs) for loads of us. I think it eventually came came about by realizing we have to get a lot in actually at the start because you you didn't want to get too stuck in her past life or anything. Mm. So the trick was to sort of show, well, essentially, like basically it came to a point where I was saying to Philida, I was like, I know it sounds mad, but I originally it was the dancing scene. So it used to be just them dancing in the kitchen. Sorry for the viewers or listeners <laughs> who haven't seen the film yet, but essentially there's just a couple of scenes in the opening with her kids and she's just dancing in the kitchen. And then there's obviously, you see a violent intercutting of what then happens when her partner comes home. But it was always that, like from early drafts, I always wanted to show how she had this universe with her children on her own that was so precious and great fun and that it would be just decimated in seconds. But I wanted to show initially always her in that world with her children because her children are her driving force Mm. and her children are also helping her. So then, then, and I also just, to be honest, didn't, I just wanted to veer away from the whole victimhood of these women the the battered woman in inverted commas you know Mm -hmm. i just really wanted to stay away from that i wanted to show that this woman is a hero for staying not just a hero for leaving and she's living on this war front in the home and that she's doing her best and she's a really good mother but not only that these kids are smart 
and she's trying to do something different here by having one of them involved with her as a, a helper. So there you have it. That's Claire. That's a taste of this conversation with Claire. You want to hear the rest of this. We go into an awful lot more and she's just a joy to talk to. And it is an unbelievable film. It's you need a heart of stone not to be moved by this piece of work. It is. I can't speak highly enough of it. Um, It's out October 16th in cinemas. Go and see it or head over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad right now and hear the rest of this conversation. Gain access to all of our episodes, including the Marion McKeown series. Get well soon, Marion McKeown, who was struck down by COVID-19 this week, but still managed to get an episode in. So you will get that every week. Obviously, hail, rain or snow or illness, Marion will deliver an incredible episode each week of Irishman in America. And every Tuesday, you can hear Sonia O'Sullivan and her advice on how to get running and how to improve you're running no matter what level you are at. That has been a joy to do. And as I said, this week it ramped up a little bit. You can join our Strava running club for Irishman Abroad over on strava.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and actually get to ask Sonia questions directly about her running and yours. As I said, October 5th sees the return of the Irishman Abroad Online Comedy Club with guests Emer McLeisett, Sarah Breen, Paul Howard, aka Russell Carroll Kelly, Jack Wise and music from the superb Loa. You don't want to miss that. Details will go up everywhere and I'll tease that in next week's episodes as well. It's free. So Come to a gig in your gaff, lads. Shout out again to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw.ie, to my producer, Brian Connolly, Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. Claire Dunn and Amy over at Element Pictures for setting up this episode and making it possible. What a joy it was. And you've only heard the beginnings really of it. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad and enjoy the rest. <laughs>